Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. So today we're going to be talking about elements of spiritual warfare. Can I bring up that scripture, Brian? Or can you bring it up, please? Just keep it there for a second, okay? Um, is anybody here aware that this life is... Sh- Fairly short. Now, the older you get, the more you realize that. I understand that because I'm kind of like almost midpoint. And it feels to me like every year that goes by, goes by faster and faster and faster. And if you read your Bible, your Bible will tell you that this world is very temporary and that we're headed towards eternity. And one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, he says all the time, one of his, his favorite things to say, and I thought it was awesome, was that essentially our life here was a dress rehearsal for eternity. And depending on your, I guess, role in this dress rehearsal, how you conduct yourself in this rehearsal will play out for eternity. And so on that note, God, in his love and mercy, is continually trying to prepare us for that eternity, to live in his kingdom with him forever. And in the same way, Jesus came to make a way so that we could be prepared and then said, I'm going to go to heaven ahead of you. I'm going to make a place for you to live while you're in heaven for eternity. And so we have God the Father, God the Son working on our behalf right now, preparing us. And then we have the Holy Spirit who is left behind says, hey, your job is to work among everybody and reveal all truth to them through the word. Right? So here we have the, the Trinity working on our behalf, preparing us for eternity. Now on the flip side of that, we also have the enemy of our souls. We have Satan, we have all those that followed him in rebellion against God, and their objective is to also prepare you for eternity, but maybe their preparation is for nefarious terms, depending on how you look at it. But they on, Satan and, his, and his, his fellows, they honestly believe that they can be God. They really do. I mean, they know what the Bible says, they know what prophecy says, they know the timings of it all, but because of their pride and rebellious nature, they honestly believe that they can defeat God, even though the job's not available. And he can sit on the throne and be God. And so he is trying to recruit all of creation against the creator. And so he is actively attempting to prepare the world for that eternity as he sees it happening. And in 2 Corinthians 6.15 says, And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So I want you to pay attention to the key word in that scripture passage that said separate. We're, we are to separate ourselves. And a part of separating ourselves is to also separate or differentiate, if you would, between who is preparing you for eternity. Now, we live in a world that is unfortunately largely ruled by Satan, right? We see that in scripture. We, knew, we know when Adam and Eve fell that this world unfortunately went the way of the dodo and decided, I'm going to align myself with the enemy. Now, it was honest, they were deceived at the time. But ever since then, we see in the world, the entire world that we live in is aligned with the enemy. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. 
Okay? Now, Christ came on the cross. He defeated death and the grave and the hell. But until he physically returns the earth to take possession of it, Satan is still kind of the prince of the power of the air, so saith the word. And so you and I, as Christians, are living in the middle of enemy territory. That shouldn't scare you overly, but we still need to be aware of it. Everything around us, the world systems and everything, is situated and set up against the knowledge of God. And so it's only by the influence of the Holy Spirit that holds back that spirit of Antichrist and the church. And so you are surrounded day and night by the enemy. I don't want to freak you out. Okay? But this is why the Bible says to be strong. Stand strong in your most holy faith. And so the enemy is continually looking for a way to collaborate with you. He wants, the enemy wants to condition you, wants to, to, to set you up for his own version of eternity. And God wants to do the same. And so you and I need to be very sensitive to what's happening around us and how you're being prepared and what preparation you're receiving and from whom. And then you have a choice because God gave you free will to decide who am I going to collaborate with? Who am I going to allow to prepare me? Now, this preparation or this awareness or this, this, this feeling of, like, I'm going to separate myself and determine what preparation is being applied to me is called separation teaching. It's an element of spiritual warfare and also plays into one of the spiritual gifts called discerning of spirits. Now, a lot of people really like the topic of spiritual warfare. I know I did. Ever since I was, like, 13 years old, I was, like, all over spiritual warfare. I was like, this has got to be the coolest thing in the Bible is this concept of spiritual warfare. And I would read everything I possibly could about it. Was anybody else like that, just in their, like, especially when you first got born again? Really? Nobody? Okay, I'm just, oh, I got one hand back there. Okay, well, for those of you who don't aware, spiritual warfare is the concept of engaging in prayer and self-discipline and walking in holiness and faith to combat the darkness of this present world to bring the glory and kingdom of God into fruition through the power of Christ. Okay? So that's spiritual warfare. And one of the basics of spiritual warfare is learning how to discipline and take control of your own life. So we are surrounded by the enemy in this world, which means that you have to be constantly aware that this enemy is going to come at you with a strategy and an attack. Now, who here is kind of like strategy games, chess, anything like that? Risk? I see a few more hands this time. Okay, so more of you like strategy games than spiritual warfare. That's okay. You might actually like spiritual warfare because it's very strategic. Now, if you were thinking of a, um, if you're looking, oh, who likes sports? Oh, wow. Okay, a few more hands. All right. So in sports, you also have strategy. Now, when you're contriving a strategy to defeat the, your opponent, do you always come at them at the, their strongest point or their weakest point? Okay, because if you come at them from the strongest point, you're not going to do well. Yeah, right? So if you have a bunch of big guys lined up there, you're going to try to go around them, not through them, unless you really are confident you can hurl yourself over top of the wall, right? And so in, the, in, in this wall of bodies. So in the, in the spiritual, the enemy will come at you at your weakest point. And so the enemy observes you. He knows what your weakest point is, and you know what your weakest point is, right? And so the enemy will, will come up with a solution or a strategy to come at your weakest point. And so day and night, night and day, we are to build ourselves in our most holy faith, putting on the armor of God. Why? Because the enemy is trying to conceive a weapon against you. Now, fortunately, if you're standing in the power of God, no weapon formed against you will prosper. 
But yet, many people are unaware of this strategy and attack that comes against us. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 to 5, please. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity for the obedience of Christ. So, in this teaching for separation, we're going to teach you the basics of taking thoughts captive. Why? Because it is the basics of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is much more than praying and interceding and things like that. It's good. But if you aren't able to tame your own thought life and take control of the attacks of the enemy against you personally, the enemy will largely render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at a little bit of why that is. Now, for us to fully understand separation teaching and also in how this whole works with the thoughts and all that, we need to look back at the Garden of Eden. So God creates Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. And the Bible says that they walked and talked with God in person. Okay? Just like I'm talking to you now, if we were to walk down the street and have a conversation. That's what they did with God. Pretty amazing stuff. And so when they were created, that was the form of communication. They, 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 God had access to them completely. He could talk to them. They had access to their hearts. He had created them. Like, understandably, it's like if you're a computer program, you program something, you know it in and out, you have complete access to it. Nobody can, nobody can take that away. But here we have Satan, who had decided to lead a rebellion against God Almighty. And so he says, I'm going to try to elicit creation and turn it against God as well, because I need reinforcements. I, need, I, I want to hurt God. Whatever his thinking was, he wanted it. And so we see in the garden meeting, he shows up to Eve, and he can only communicate her in one way, and that's verbally. And we see that. And he shows up, and he starts questioning her, getting her to question the goodness of God. He tries to inject some feelings of what if. And it wasn't really actually working a whole lot. Like, he was trying to inject it, but ultimately the Bible says she was deceived into believing that the fruit was good. And she eats it and disobeys. The moment she did that, she collaborated with Satan. She worked with him to accomplish a goal. Whether it was she was deceived into doing it, but she still did it. And so sometimes when we collaborate with the enemy, even if we don't consciously realize we've done it, or we get tripped up and deceived into doing it, it's still sin. Right? Ignorance of the law is not a justification for breaking it. And so we see that when that happened, Eve is suddenly like, Adam and Eve both ate the fruit. What's the first thing that happens? They run and hide. Why? Because the Bible says they suddenly realized they were naked, they were felt ashamed, and they felt fear. And so where did they get that knowledge? God himself walks in and says, who told you that? And you guys have heard this part before, I think, when Alice and I have talked about this before. But it's really amazing to notice that for the first time, Adam and Eve received knowledge from somebody other than God without any verbalization. The enemy was, for the first time, able to communicate with them directly without words, whereas just five minutes ago they had. Why? Because as soon as they collaborate with the enemy, it opens themselves up to communication on a soul level. See, God created you mind, soul, body, and emotion. So you have your body. I think it moves around, right? Okay. It's our temple. And then we have our mind, soul, and, uh, our mind will, and emotions. That's our soul. The Bible refers to it as your soul. And then you have your spirit. So sin killed the spirit, the part that connects to God. And now Adam, and then those that are still in the world, Satan communicates through the soul. 
And he does so by injecting thoughts, because that's where the mind rests. The thought processes, God calls that the soul realm. And so Adam and Eve, for the first time, were communicating with the enemy on a soulish level. And they received information that way. And you and I are subject to those kind of attacks continually. Luke 16, 18, just have it up there for me, please. So you and I are constantly choosing who we're going to collaborate with. And the enemy was going to come to you with thoughts, and they're going to, he's going to try to eject, inject thoughts. Now, Satan himself is not going to be injecting thoughts unless you're somebody really, really, really important. Because unlike God, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. And so for that, he has a legion or an army called unclean spirits. And we read about these in the Bible. And these unclean spirits, their goal is to inject thoughts to you so that you believe them. And so we're commanded to take every thought captive. And if what happens when we don't take these thoughts captive is bad things start to happen. We, de- we decline. Unclean spirits will come and they will try to abide with you. They will try to get you to cl- accept their presence into your life. And when that kind of happens, the Bible talks about Jesus went about healing these kind of people. And here's what the Bible had to say about that. As well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, they were healed. So, He's talking, this is scripture pastor talking about when Jesus was casting out unclean spirits. So when there's unclean spirits working in your life, um, they bring not just torment, okay? They were tormented, and torment is like mental anguish. I mean, if anybody here has ever been in fear or anxiety, knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's torment in that. It's, there's no rest. There's no peace. Anywhere where there's no peace, there's torment, and that's the enemy. Over time, that kind of torment can elicit physiological responses to what you're thinking and feeling. So I, I, there's been a lot of talk the last couple of years about like cortisol and adrenaline and things like that. People that are constantly in fear, your brain is constantly in fight or flight, and it's constantly producing cortisol and other harmful chemicals that are good in the short term because they are designed to keep you moving right? And keep you out of danger. But if it's sustained and prolonged, it can actually have a negative impact on your body. Interesting thing is that, um, has, and I was talking about this last Thursday, if, has anybody here ever stumbled and stuck their foot out like this to catch their weight? And they were surprised at how hard, like, to the point where it hurt your foot, like you stomped so hard? Okay. Well, interestingly enough, your body will react in a way to preserve you in the sense that you normally are not able to stomp your foot usually as hard as you do when you catch your weight instinctively. So your body will go into an override program where it says, oh, I need to preserve my life, and it will slam that foot down as hard as it can in order to preserve the rest of the body. And so your body is not designed to be in long-term reaction mode. It's not healthy. But the enemy comes to you, offers you a thought, and if you accept it and start collaborating, the enemy will continually influence your mind into, and keep you in this state. People that give into these relationships with unclean spirits will increasingly find less control over themselves and their thoughts. It's kind of like conditioning your mind. And so the example for that is, um, I don't know how many times I've gone to drive to a store or to a meeting, and then I end up driving to my office instead. 
right? So has anybody ever experienced that? Where you're like trying to go somewhere and the place that you drive to all the time, you just instinctively start turning down the roads. You're, you know, and you're not even thinking about because maybe you're listening to some music or you're thinking about what you got to do. Oh, what was I going to buy there again? And you know, like, what, you know, and distracted driving, right? And then you're like, you, you just follow your, 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 your path. The next thing you know, you've put it in park and you're sitting in your parking lot of your office and you're going, what? <laughs> now I got to drive across town again, right? So you go back the other way. That is, that's called conditioning. So over time, if you allow this collaboration with the enemy, what happens is your mind can actually become conditioned to think that way. And so it gets to the point where you can actually become your own accuser. So instead of the enemy being the accuser of the brother and saying, you're no good, you're awful, you don't preach to enough people, you're unsuccessful as a Christian, you start thinking the same thing about yourself because you've been conditioned. And that's not normal. I'm here to tell you that's not normal. Those thoughts are not normal. Every, has anybody here ever tried to hold your breath to the point where you know, you passed out. Has anybody ever tried to do that? Some kids can do it when they're really, really mad. They're just like, I want it so bad. <gasps> right? And they'll just hold their, their breath until they pass out. But it's, no matter what, whether you pass out or not, you ultimately will always breathe again as soon as you fall unconscious. Why? Because your body is designed to preserve your life. God has built everything in creation with a desire and instinct to survive. Right? And so it is not normal for you to accuse yourself of death. It is not normal for you to say, I'm no good, I'm worthless, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve this, blah, 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 blah. That is not how God created you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. That is evidence of the enemy conditioning you. That is evidence of conditioning. And so, again, going back, there are three forces Three forces that are looking to, you're looking to condition you and build you. God the Father, Satan, and then at some point, it can be also you, yourself. You can start to condition yourself as well. And so taking thoughts captive and identifying what they're, where they're coming from becomes crucial. So how do we recognize where these thoughts are coming from? How do we take them captive? How do, we, how do we hold that thought for just the briefest of moments and go, where did you come from? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are you going? What's your purpose? You know, interrogated, essentially. And here's some factors that can play into it. First of all, be encouraged because you probably have a one in three chance of getting this right, right? Because there's only three possibilities. It's either coming from God, from the enemy, or from yourself. If this thought is not good, so let's bring up Philippians 4, 8, please. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, praise, think on these things. So if you have a thought pop in your head and it doesn't match up to one of these things, it's not from God. So that's pretty easy. It's like a cheat sheet, right? It's like one of these things are not like the other. So it's like, okay, well, this thought isn't like this, so... I can eliminate God as a, as a potential party, which leaves the enemy or yourself or partnership with the enemy. Either way, neither are probably a good thing unless your mind has been conditioned to think like God by the renewing of the word, which we'll go to later. And at this time in our history, and especially right now, there is such an attack on 
people regardless of your age. There is so much fear being broadcasted on the news and in society, on social media. There are so many thoughts that take captive, you might have to actually remove some influences from your life. Just a suggestion. Because I, uh, you've probably seen it as well in the news, is that even the world, even the secular world, is aware that there is a huge amount of mental strife and, and, and struggle right now in people. And I mean, I don't think anybody would debate that. Of course there's a, an increase in that. So to me, that's just evidence that the enemy's on the move. And the other thing to consider when looking at to think if these thought is from God or from the enemy is that fundamentally, every thought that comes from God is founded on love. The kingdom of God is founded on love. Everything that God does for you and in you and through you is founded on love, and it's for love, because God is foundationally motivated by love. And so his kingdom is founded in love. Love is kingdom currency. But Satan, Satan's kingdom is founded on fear. Everything comes off fear. You read through the word, every single thing the enemy can afflict you with in thought life is founded on fear. Fear accompanies everything. So as soon as you take a thought captive and it says, or smells, or it looks like fear, it's from the enemy. So to end the influence of unclean spirits becomes so important for the Christian. And a lot of you right now, probably in this room, are actually struggling with um, the enemy attacking your mind. A lot of you are probably doing it. A lot of Christians struggle with this. Now, this is nothing to be ashamed of because there's a, a lot of people have this happen because they don't realize. They, they, they're not consciously aware that the enemy has been collaborating with them or that they've been collaborating with the enemy. Who here has ever had a thought that I'm not worth God's time? Okay, I have. Okay, wow, a lot more hands that time. You guys do know about spiritual warfare. You just don't have the tools maybe to fight it well. Who here has ever had the thought, not necessarily even directed back towards God, but it's just, I'm not worthy of good things or good attention? I've had that. Who's ever thought, the reason God doesn't use me more and I don't see the power of God in my life is because I haven't earned it? Okay, wow, okay, all right. Did you know those are all lies? Did you know that God gave you all authority? And all power? Did you know he gave you all of his Holy Spirit? It's not divided equally among you, so you just each have a little bit. Because, see, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can be in his full strength in every place. So it's not limited. It's not a cup of water that has to be measured out to each one of you. It is a wellspring without end. Did you know that God doesn't look at your performance and measure it? Do you know he doesn't grade you? Do you know he doesn't have a checklist in heaven that he says, oh, 54% just above passing? He doesn't do that. Do you know the only enemy wants you to believe that he does? Do you know that if you ever have the thought that I need to pray more in order to have more of God's presence, that's a satanic thought? The thought that sounds right should be, I want to pray more because I love him. It's birthed out of love. But fear says, I need to pray more because I don't have enough. That's fear. Is anybody getting some exposure right now? Has anybody thought, I need to read my Bible more because I don't know enough to be good enough 
Do you know that's a satanic thought? Because you're worried about not being good enough or acceptable to God? Did you know that God created you just as you are and he meets you where you're at? And that he died for you and loved you even before you even had a thought to read your Bible? Or to pray? God wants you to read your Bible and pray because he loves you and he wants you to grow. But not because he wants you to be more acceptable and you've already passed the mark. Because he doesn't see you, he sees his son. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Right? It's no longer I that liveth, okay, but Christ that lives with me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? So the enemy has probably been inhibiting your ability to function in the kingdom of God by convincing you of a lie, and it's time to stop collaborating with the enemy. So how do we take care? How do we end collaboration with the enemy? How do we do it? Anybody have any ideas? Worship, good. Hey, why worship? Right, okay. For the heavy-hearted, right, lifts you up. Oh, sorry, I'm pointing. I was told never to point because apparently I look aggressive when I point. I apologize. (laughs) You can break my finger later. Anybody else? Okay, how about repentance? Because earlier we were talking about it briefly. When you collaborate with the enemy, whether you realize it or not, you are breaking the law. You are sinning against God. Just He still loves you, wants better things for you, just like you would if you had a child, and you're just like, oh, don't do it that way. Don't, I've done that. Don't do that. Like, God's not saying I've done that, but we're saying to our kids, I've done that. I know where that goes. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, I just take my advice. You know, heed, heed my voice, that kind of thing. God in heaven is looking at you, and he's like, oh, I really wish you wouldn't collaborate with the enemy. You, like, consciously or unconsciously, it, it's, it's not a good row. And so we first need thing we need to do is repent. Acts 8, 22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. See, as soon as you allow a thought, as soon as you accept the thought from the enemy, it becomes yours. It's your thought now, right? It's like, (laughs) you know, somebody hands you a a firearm that's been used in a murder, and you hold it in your hand, all of a sudden a cop rolls up, and he looks at you holding this gun that was just used in a murder. I mean, you're going to have a lot explaining to do. It's like, well, it was in your possession. Your prints are on it, you know? It's like, you got to explain this to me. It's like, as soon as you accept the thought from the enemy, it's in your hands, and it's already doing its work. You haven't taken it captive. So you need to repent to that action. And repentance is an act of love. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God loves you and gives you repentance as a way an extension of that love. So love is actually founded, uh, sorry, pardon me, repentance is founded in love. And so when we repent, we say simply, Dad, Father, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I should have been, I I didn't even realize it. Or maybe I did realize it. Maybe I did realize it, and I kind of liked it. Either way, I'm sorry, and I'm moving away from this. The next step is to renounce it. Now, renounce is a fancy word you hear a lot in this church, okay? One of the R's. 
Renounce simply means to break a contract and walk away. So if you have a really bad cell phone deal where you just really wanted the phone, you didn't care what you had to sign to get it, and then the, that novelty wears off and suddenly you're stuck with a monthly bill that is just astronomical, okay, and you're trying to get out of it, your attempt to get out of that, good luck by the way, is to, that attempt is you're trying to renounce that contract. You're like, I want out. I want not, I'll even give your phone back. I don't want anything to do with that. And so renouncing when it comes to dealing with the enemy is the same thing, except we have all authority to, to renounce. There is no contract in the world that can bind us. So we can simply look at the enemy and say, I've decided this is a bad idea and you don't benefit my best interest and glorify God, so get out. And then you walk and it's like, I'm going to go in this direction. No, you're not welcome back. Get out. Why are you following me? Get out. Okay, so that's, that's renouncing. And uh, after renouncing comes uh, removing. So you remove the influence or thing that has been bringing, that has been aiding those thoughts to come into your life. So the hands of steel, let them work, let them steal no more, work honestly, that kind of idea. This is the premise. So if you own any objects or if something is owning you, you remove that from yourself in order to limit the collaboration with the enemy or the potential for the reminder of sin. If you're an alcoholic, you don't keep alcohol in your cupboard, you remove it from your house because you know it will, at a, at a point in time, you will make a mistake and you will get caught back up in it. And lastly, you have to renew your mind. And this is probably one of the most important steps in my estimation. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, just as you were conditioned by the enemy, you now have, you have to purposely condition yourself in God. You have to work and collaborate with the Holy Spirit and, 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 and renew your mind through the reading of the word and applying it and living it, even when it doesn't make sense. And by doing this conditioning, you will immediately, instead of doing what the enemy would do, you immediately, instinctively, by conditioning, will do what God will have you to do. That's a pretty awesome conditioning. Who would like to conditionally love as a reflex? Who would, who's, who would like to have the mind of Christ as a default? Right? Isn't that awesome? And that's what we have a promise. We have the promise in the word that we can have that. So we're going to close in prayer. And as we're praying, I would encourage everyone to just ask and seek the Holy Spirit. What areas in my life have I been collaborating with the enemy on? What areas in my life have I been giving ground to the enemy? And then I would like you to find some space. Maybe not here. You can if you want to. You can do it at home. Whatever. Find some space with the Holy Spirit and and with God and just be like, you know what? I repent. I renounce. I'm going to remove this thing right now without, before the enemy has a chance to inject more thoughts to argue why I shouldn't be obedient to God. And then I'm going to immediately make time to renew my mind. If you can accomplish this, you will have a self-disciplined approach to Christianity where you are going through a process called sanctification, where your temple, your body, who you are, will house the presence of God rather than the presence of the enemy. So let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are a good father who loves us 
and who gives us room to repent. Not just once, not twice, not even three or four times daily, but there is no limit. You have given us room to repent, Lord, because you love us. You don't want us to beg for forgiveness because you're God in heaven who must be repent, who must demand penance. But God, repentance is not for you, it's for us because you love us. It's a way of, of, of healing our hearts. And so, Father, I ask that, Lord, you would show every person where the enemy has been coming at them, where the enemy has been convincing them they're less than a child of God, where they're less than deserving, or where they have to earn your acceptance, Lord God, or where they have to somehow do some special thing in fasting regime in order to inherit the power of God when it's theirs already and they're just convinced they don't have it because they've been collaborating with the enemy. And so I ask, ask in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the enemy that would look to confuse and disrupt the, this communication and make muddy the issue. I take every thought captive over every person in this place today, that they would have breathing room to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Bind those thoughts in the name of Jesus. And I ask that, Father, that you would give every heart a willingness and boldness and faithfulness to accept your love because your kingdom is founded on that love and not fear. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.